Sentire Media. Hello you. You're listening to A History of Italy. The great question and answer session. La coperta adesso è corta e si scopre tutto il blu e non posso più accucciarmi e così ritorno su. Lasci colli nelle valli, tra due salici piangenti, io ritrovo la speranza di un amore che ormai fu. So, we have arrived at episode 125. That's 100 and a quarter episodes. Who ever imagined I would get this far? So, to celebrate... I have collected over the last few months a series of questions from listeners that I'm now going to answer. I have tried to do so more or less in chronological order, that is, the order of the times they refer to rather than the order the questions arrived in. So, let's get started because there's plenty of things to go through. First of all, a generic question that has recently arrived. Apologies, I didn't make a note of the question asker. And that is regarding podcasts in general. It says, in the first show, you mentioned that there were some excellent podcasts out there specializing in specific periods, I assume referring to Italian history. Would you have any that you would recommend around Verona or, more generally, the 14th century? Now, unfortunately, I don't have much to recommend about Verona. But with regard to the 14th century, there I could refer you to the Medici podcast by Chad Denton. Obviously, it refers specifically to Florence, so a bit far off from Verona. Then I could refer to the specific episodes that we did about Verona, for example, Italians Against Stairs, in which we spoke about the Della Scala family. In general, if you are looking for other podcasts regarding Italy, first of all, obviously, if you speak Italian, I would recommend our sister podcast, The Storia d'Italia, by Marco Capelli, who does a really good job at going a lot more in-depth into the stories that we have done a bit more superficially. Then, of course... If you are interested in the papacy, there are the girls over at Pontifax who go through ranking all the popes from Peter to Francis and obviously in doing so touch upon Italian history that directly referring to the papacy. And indeed you may have noticed that in my podcast I often skip over the popey bits knowing that the girls are there with their reassuring presence. Then, of course, we have Steve Guerra with his history of the papacy. And if you are interested in particular in the period of the Risorgimento, so the 18th and 19th century when Italy was unified, there is the excellent talking history, the Italian unification by the Ashwell brothers. It's completed now, but you can still find it on all major podcast players. So... Let's get down to the historical questions, starting with the Roman Empire, which we didn't really deal with, but the question specifically, or let's say the comment, regards the use of Latin. It was sent in by Anna M. Incidentally, I won't be using whole names, just in case people don't want to be tracked down on social media or something like that, who points out a correction 
Hopefully, my high school Latin teachers, Professor Montani and Professor Camellini, didn't hear that because I said that Scipio, uh, as in Scipio Africanus or Scipio Emilianus, was the diminutive of Scipione, when indeed it is not at all. It is the nominative form in Latin, whereas Scipione would be the flexed form, which is the name that we use today in Italian, which is derived from that flexed form. The accusative in particular, which would have been Scipionem. Also, there's an interesting note on pronunciation, because we do pronounce Scipio and not Scipio. This is what we call pronuncia latina restituita. I'm not sure what that is called in English, restituted or reconstructed or something like that, and it is supposedly the way the Latins actually pronounced it themselves, that is, k instead of sh, basically. I once asked a linguistic expert how we know this, and he went down a whole rabbit hole about comparative linguistics and how, with the transliteration into Greek, we can understand what the sound would have been like in Latin. I didn't then ask him how we knew the pronunciation of ancient Greek, but I assume it has something to do with the pronunciation of modern Greek, and I didn't want him to go down another rabbit hole. So, thank you, Anna M., for sorting that out. The next question sort of regards Rome, but more the evolution of families after the Roman period. So, the question reads, Hello, Mike. I recently discovered your podcast and it's easily become my favourite. Thank you very much to listen to. I've just started the podcast about the Ottonians in Italy. One question I have is that I've never understood and as an Italian-American and history major in college, I wish I knew, are present-day Italians more related to Romans or are they a Germanic-slash-Norman-slash-Arab-slash-Roman hybrid? Also, were the noble houses of Medici and Sforza of Roman descent, or were they Lombard or Frankish? Any help understanding this would be appreciated. Thanks, Dan S. So, first of all, with regard to who the modern Italians are today, it's a bit messy. Although there have also been some interesting DNA tests that say that many modern-day Italians come from what is modern-day Turkey, for example. But you need to look more into that, and if you're interested, I can provide you with links. Obviously, you can't imagine that the Romans who were around, let's say, in 476, would have directly evolved into the Italians of today. We had all kinds of invasions after that. We had the Goths. We had the Byzantines, we had the Lombards, we had the Franks, and all the time we would have had raids from various barbaric peoples. So, it very much also depends on what area you are from. The great Roman noble families of the post-Roman period would have been exiled or killed, in particular by the Lombard invasion, which at the same time would have left the lower levels of society more or less intact. So, the nobles of the 7th, 8th and 9th century would most likely have been of Lombard descent. Then the nobles of the 8th and 9th century would have mixed in a bit of Frankish as well, although a lot of Lombards did collaborate with the Franks, and their laws were around for centuries after the actual Lombard kingdom fell. So, to make a long story short, you could say it was more likely a mix. 
I suppose you could probably find Italians who are directly descendant from the ancient Romans, but it would be more likely that by now they would have been mixed with Franks and Normans and Arabs and so on, especially in the areas when those groups had influence. So Normans in southern Italy, the Arabs in Sicily in particular, and so on. As far as the great families go, although I did say that noble families would have been of Lombard descent, the question regarding the Medici and Sforza is a bit different because, for example, the Medici were not originally a noble family, but they were a family that came out of the bourgeois banking class of Florence. At the same time, it's also quite difficult to try and trace their family heritage. Indeed, the Medici only start to be mentioned around the 13th century. As for the Sforza, since we're heading that way very soon, I'll leave that part of the question for the episode. Although, if you have listened to the Braccio da Montone episodes, we have already encountered the founder of that important house. The next question is from Rod L., one of the lovely Patreon supporters. He says, Hi Mike, regarding your request for questions, you have mentioned that you listen to A History of England, and indeed I do, I'm a huge fan of The History of England. And given A History of Italy podcast is in English, and I presume most listeners are Anglo like me, I'm Australian, not me Mike, I'm Australian, but Rod is Australian, we listeners must come from an Anglo-centric place. In the 800-odd years we have covered so far Lombardy or Tuscany, in fact, every province has a history-culture-sophistication that is arguably more nuanced than England. And yet, we, the English world, are oblivious. For example, I knew nothing of Freddy II, yet he is a towering historical figure. England in this period seems to be about as significant globally as Australia or Argentina today. Your thoughts? Also, what has surprised you as you do your research? Well, first of all, let's not diss the Australians and the Argentinians. I think the Australians are great, as are the Argentinians, and I believe that in future, with the whole dangerously developing Pacific situation, Australia could play a major role. As far as the significance of England goes, with regard to the importance of England, we must perhaps remember that in the 11th century, with the Norman invasion, William had created a situation in which the King of England was also King of parts of France, so quite a vast empire for the time, far more important than any of the Italian players around at that time, unless, of course, you exclude the Holy Roman Emperors and consider them Italian players. It is true, however, that the situation in Italy would always be more nuanced and, let's say, complicated than in England, Indeed, histories such as those as England, France and so on present a more linear approach. Although that doesn't mean it's any less interesting or complicated just because there was a king that allows you a certain historical continuity. If you go and analyse things on a local level with the earls, barons, rebellions, intrigue and so on, you will see that perhaps things in England are just as complicated sometimes. Obviously, in Italy, the evolution was different because we had actually different states. 
which also is one of the reasons behind the incredible wealth of culture, architecture and art coming from Italy. Every little city was trying to compete and be better than the city down the road. And not only within the same city, one family was trying to be better than the family down the road to build a higher tower, to get a better painter, to get better frescoes, and so on and so forth. As far as what has surprised me in my research, for the most part, they are things I knew. I studied, obviously, history at high school, And although the university system in Italy is a bit different, you could say I had a minor in history, although my degree is in foreign languages and literature. So a lot of the things we covered I knew, but perhaps not so much in depth. I suppose one thing that did surprise me is the global society that already existed, starting from the Roman period and through the so-called Dark Ages. We tend to say that we are living in an increasingly globalized society, but Even in the Middle Ages, there was evidence of contact and travel in all of Europe, from England down to the southernmost reaches of Italy, to the Middle East, and so on. Going back to Freddie II, we know he was good buddies with the Muslim Caliph. We know that trade got all the way up to Scotland, and so on, and so forth. So perhaps that's one of the most surprising things that I didn't imagine, the level of globalization that already existed back then. Another thing I suppose I could mention is the continuous attempt by various rulers and entity to create a unified Italy. We tend to say that before 1861, no one was really interested in the idea of a unified Italian nation, but instead we see that there were various attempts at doing exactly that. Next is a question that takes us back to the period of the Ottonians with Caroline P., She says, I just started and am binge listening and I have a few comments. First of all, she mentions that some of the episodes seem to be abruptly cut off. So if anyone else is getting that, please let me know as I would like to see if I can correct it. The second is she points out that the English form of Theophanu, who was the wife of one of the Ottos, is Tiffany just a little known fact which I really loved and for days and days after receiving Caroline's email I was singing to myself I think we're alone now there doesn't seem to be anyone around which is what Tiffany may have said on the first evening of her nuptials. Also she points out that Adelaide considered Adelaide of Italy was actually Otto's the first second wife he married an English princess before whose son tried to rebel and depose Otto. Then we move into the 11th century and my favourite and heroine Matilda, Countess of Canossa, with Andrew M very helpfully pointing out that the female version of Marquis is Marchioness in the UK at least, pointing out that the language is a bit complicated but using other words. So thank you, thank you very much for that, Andrew. Then Tom L. asks, Having just listened to one of the episodes on Dante, specifically the problems with the Guelphs and the Ghibellines, I was wondering if you could recommend a history of Florence in English. My Italian is rudimentary, although I hope it will improve. Good luck with that, Tom. Make sure you come and have a lovely study holiday here in Italy. Here in the little town of Reggio Emilia, we actually have a pretty good Italian language school for foreigners. Now, If you want Florence in general, 
One of the sources that I use for Florence, which I know is also in English, is A History of Florence by John M. Nayemi. That's N-A-J-E-M-Y. And that covers Florence from 1200 to 1575. I could name another four or five books that I use for Florence, but unfortunately they are all in Italian by Italian authors. If you are thinking specifically of the Medici, there is a classic volume called The Medici by C.S. Young. Then a consideration from another Patreon supporter, Dominique T., who was a bit confused by the fact that I spoke about Pope John XXIII being active in the early 15th century. Apologies for that. In reality, obviously, the John XXIII of the early 15th century, although considered a pope at the time we were speaking, was an anti-pope. Indeed, one of the reasons that good Pope John XXIII, Papa Roncalli, chose the name was to override the pre-existing anti-pope. Then the questions jump forth several hundred years, probably because we haven't covered the intermediate period yet, to the fascist era. Rodney N., whom I call the question master, points out when we spoke about Mussolini's flip-flopping to support Italy's participation in World War I, given everything else you and others have said about him, I don't doubt that he was being opportunistic. But it should be kept in mind that socialists and communists across Europe likewise flipped and failed to oppose the war, despite many pledges to do so in the preceding years. As you probably know, but maybe some of your listeners do not, Mike Duncan addressed this apparent paradox recently in episode 10.55 of Revolutions. And I add my recommendation to go and listen to Mike Duncan's podcast. And yes, Rodney is perfectly right. Also, the fact that Mussolini may have been corrupted into supporting the war is nothing particularly rare in that period, but the fact that he was in the same boat as others didn't make him any less horrible. Again, apologies, the next question, I didn't make a note of the sender. Mr. Karate, greetings. You came to my notice via the Italian Citizenship Podcast, for whom I did an episode and whom I would like to say hello to. Hello, Rafael, and hello, Marco. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to your brief history lesson. Your knowledge and presence really shined through and I was fully engaged. Thank you so much. Thanks again. So now for the ask. I am an American, born and bred in New York of San Marinese descent, so from San Marino, or at least that is what my parents told me. Long story short, Although all my ancestors were born, lived and died in San Marino, they were apolid. Is that how you say it in English? Apolide? Whatever. Neither Italian nor San Marinese, which is making my Juris Sanguinis application interesting. I would love to know more about San Marino, not its history, as that is widely available, but its relationship with Italy, Emilia-Romagna and the Papal States. As listeners will know, San Marino is one of the two independent countries inside the borders of Italy, the other being the Vatican, and we have quite a nice relationship with it. In all reality, it's also a tourist attraction for us. It's nice to go and visit. It has a beautiful, beautiful castle, and once upon a time, I haven't been in a while, you could actually get your passport stamped with a San Marino visitor's stamp. 
I also think they have more lax laws on weapons such as BB guns and soft air rifles, so I know a lot of people who practice soft air like to go there. I'm usually a bit sad for their football team that ends up losing by ridiculous amounts of goals, and I wish them better luck in future. Maxime takes us to the sad issue of the Mafia. Great episode on De La Chiesa. Very surprised to learn that Mafia has been so influential so recently. Perhaps still is. Unfortunately, yes, it is. Frankly, hearing about such an individual as Generale De La Chiesa is very inspiring. I totally agree. Our true Italian heroes are people such as Generale De La Chiesa, Giovanni Falcone and Paolo Borsellino, as well as many others. And hopefully I can find more time to talk about more anti-mafia martyrs. To talk about the current influence, for example, as I record, in a couple of days I'm going to listen to a conference about a big trial, the Emilia trial, which is taking place in my town of Regimilia, about the infiltration of the Andrangheta, one of the various mafias based particularly in Calabria, about their infiltration into local businesses, which is a current trial that is going on that has represented a big hit for the Mafia, but unfortunately not a mortal blow. Another Patreon supporter, Sen, also mentions the Mafia episodes. I welcome this feature very much. Two things come to mind at the moment. The historical background of the rise of the Mafia, and two, the current pandemic. Is the current pandemic an opportunity for the Mafia to grow once more? So, first of all, a history of the Mafia we will leave to another time, either maybe a special episode or when we get closer to the first Mafia-like phenomenons in the 19th century. With regard to the other part of the question, has the current pandemic offered an opportunity for the Mafia to grow once more? Unfortunately, we have to take away the once more because it never really stopped growing, although it has taken hits. We have to specify once again that that at least in Italian we use the term mafias, le mafia, for the various different criminal organizations. We have the Sicilian mafia, the Calabrian Andrangheta, the Sacra Corona Unita in the Puglia area, the Camorra in the Naples area, as well as some other organizations, minor organizations, again in Sicily and also in Sardinia. So the Mafia has taken hits in the past, but unfortunately is still very alive and active and has a strong international presence. For example, at the moment, I'm listening to an excellent Australian podcast called Mafia's Web about the infiltration of the Andrangheta in Australia. Unfortunately, yes, the pandemic, having caused great financial difficulty for many people, has forced them to turn to the mafia and perhaps lose their business and have it taken over, as has happened also in some northern cities, although we tend to think of the mafia as usually concentrated in the southern areas. So, yes, unfortunately, the pandemic, as well as hitting the economy hard in general, has allowed the mafia more room to enter, which is something that always happens when central or local governments have difficulty offering citizens services which are their right, and then the mafia comes in and offers it to them at a price, making themselves look good by making people pay for something which they should have for free. Then we move on to more social questions regarding Italy in general. First of all, a quick, possibly impertinent question, if I may, 
is Agnese M your significant other? The query is not driven by the shocking thought that you may be unmarried, uh, your business, not mine, but rather whether married women in Italy retain their father's surname. Yes, they do. Basically, although Italy has generally been a more masculistic society and is still struggling with issues of toxic masculinity and women being murdered by ex-husbands and ex-boyfriends, we have always had this issue that women maintain their surname and starting very recently, parents can also choose which surname to give to their children. That is also the reason why, for example, Alessandra Mussolini, granddaughter of Benito Mussolini and a political figure in Italy, after having been a porn star for a while, has maintained her surname. So although she does support her grandfather's ideology, the fact that she has his surname is not actually a political choice. Alison H. on Patreon asked about the school system in Italy. How are disabilities accommodated, i.e. learning versus physical disabilities? Also, have schools changed as a result of remote learning? So, in Italy we can say we have pros and cons with accommodating disability in the school system. One pro could be that there is an attempt at inclusion. Disabled young people do not have separate classes, but they have support teachers inside the existing class that should be attempting to integrate them in the classroom. In our personal family history, we've had a wonderful experience with my son growing up with a disabled young man whom he became great friends with, and as is often the case, although this sounds cliché, it has enriched the class more than any maths or other subjects. Also because my son never really liked maths, but the lessons in learning the positive aspects and not the limitations of being with people with disabilities were invaluable. The problem in Italy is that very often the support teachers for people with disabilities are just waiting to become teachers of other subjects, whereas I strongly believe there should be a separate special training for people who intend to work all of their lives with people with disabilities so that they can specialize on their students' needs and not just stay with them long enough so they can get a job teaching other topics. Then, of course, Italy, being a very ancient country, has a lot of work to do on physical barriers, but that is a whole other kettle of fish. Have schools changed as a result of remote learning? Unfortunately, not much. It could have been a golden opportunity to reevaluate some of the ways of teaching. Unfortunately, teaching in Italy is very notional, if you can say so, i.e. listen, 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 and then repeat, repeat, repeat. There's very little attempt at things like community learning, task-based learning, flipped classrooms, and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, due to the added boredom of sitting and listening for five or six hours straight on a video screen, many young people are abandoning school. Listener Edward K was asking about Italian surnames. Indeed, on Patreon, you will find an episode on very strange Italian surnames, and we have spoken of them in the past. For example, when we spoke of the warlord and lord of Luca, Castruccio Castracani, the dog castrator. But in Italian, you will also find Bagnacani, dog wetters, Magna Terra, earth eaters, Strozzagalli, 
rooster throttlers, and so on and so forth. And Edward says, so the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, the Honorable Nancy Pelosi, is Nancy Harry. More or less, that's right. He says, by the way, I mean no disrespect, I greatly admired her, just curious about the surname. Um, Pelosi would actually be the masculine plural, so it would be Nancy Harry ones. Lisa Kay takes us to the modern-day issue of vaccinations, asking, how are the vaccination efforts going in Italy? I read how it's so different region by region, with different priority lines and confusion about who's eligible. Is it still a matter of supply shortage? This, it must be said, was back earlier this year. The vaccination situation in Italy is going quite well. I think we are second to Spain only in all of Italy, with almost 90% of the population vaccinated with the first two doses and the third dose starting up very, very soon. That means that the percentage of no-vaxxers is not particularly high, although they are very, very loud. Organising big protests recently, for example, in Trieste, and a really terrible protest in which the protesters march holding a sort of makeshift barbed wire and dressed in Nazi extermination camp-type pyjamas, comparing themselves to the Jews during the Holocaust, which is absolutely a disgusting way, showing deep, deep ignorance of the situation. So a note here on democracy. Democracy means a community coming together, deciding its laws and regulations, electing officials, and when those officials do not perform according to our wishes, changing those officials. Democracy does not mean, has never meant, and should never mean, everybody do exactly what you want because you read something on Facebook about something that your cousin posted, and so on and so forth. The last couple of questions take us to the topic that everybody really wants to talk about when you think about Italy, and that is food. Alison H. again says, I like the idea of Italy, which is a chain of Italian-quality food shops, franchise in the US, because it raises the status of agricultural products. I hope it helps the Italian economy. So do I, because we get a lot of things ripped off. Our food culture has changed a lot with staples made in new ways, like drinking milk from vegetables and nuts. I confess, Oatly is my favourite oatmeal. I don't know what that is, Alison, but I imagine it's what you're talking about. And pasta from lentils and chickpeas. We try to eat those so we don't get so fat with regular pasta. Is this phenomenon happening in Italy too? Yes, it is. We have the pasta with chickpeas, and there is a great variety of food for vegetarians and vegans, for example, as well as, and so it should be, for people who have gluten issues. In Italy, especially in the bigger cities, you can find a huge variety going from the traditional Italian local food to Chinese, Japanese, and all other kinds of ethnic food, which makes a night out really interesting, whatever you decide to eat. And finally, in the US, there has been a movement to make people more aware of their food sources with a focus on impact of industrial farming on the food supply. It has resulted in a demand for stuff like eggs from fresh-range chickens, organic produce without pesticides, and meat 
that comes from animals that have not been treated with antibiotics. Is this a concern for Italians too? Yes, very, very much. We have a whole series of sometimes confusing certifications that food should and sometimes must have, like DOP, which is Denominazione d'Origine Protetta, DOC, which is Denominazione d'Origine Controllata, and so on and so forth, and it covers a whole range of things, wine, cured meats, cheeses, and so on and so forth. Obviously, we are not without the occasional food scandal, but in general, in Italy, we try and do a pretty good job, and you may remember that in Parma, we have the headquarters of the European Food Safety Authority. Well, that is it for the great question and answer session. I did have a few more questions and I really apologize if I didn't get yours in, but I didn't want things to go on for too long. I will keep the other questions for further episodes. And so if you have any questions of your own as we proceed, please, please don't hesitate to write in. I'll always be happy to get them. As always, thank you very, very much for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.